Welcome to Bioethics on Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. I'm Joe Zaylot, your host. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. A very important but often overlooked challenge for Catholic employers, including dioceses, is their health benefits plan. With the cacophony of federal and state laws that mandate coverage for medical interventions, including and especially pharmaceuticals, that violate church teaching, what is a Catholic employer to do? How does it offer a comprehensive, quality health benefits plan for its employees while maintaining and fostering its Catholic identity and mission? To address these and other challenges, I am happy to welcome to the podcast, Robert Smedley. Robert is the owner and president of the Matthias Group, the nation's only pharmaceutical benefit management consulting firm that serves Catholic dioceses, religious orders, and religious institutions exclusively. Robert has spent the last 20 years helping Catholic organizations maximize their employee benefit plans, comply with ever-changing regulations, save money, and most importantly, protect and preserve their Catholic identity. Robert Smedley, welcome to Bioethics on Air. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Now, I've been wanting to have you on for a while. We met a few years ago and um, always wanted to get you on, and we finally did. So, so it's a good thing. So, Robert, you are a new guest on our podcast, and our listeners know that whenever we have a new guest on our podcast, I ask them to tell them a bit about their background. So I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about your education and your work experience leading up to your present work with the Matthias Group. Well, that's an interesting path. It's, it's funny. I don't think when I was in high school, I, my guidance counselor said, you know, this was the path I was going to be on, considering I was a little Protestant boy at the time. Uh, spent some time in the Air Force, got out. I received my uh, uh, BAS in organizational management and leadership. But about 20 years ago, I started working for um, an insurance agency that was selling health insurance and primarily focused on the Catholic Church, which was a steep learning curve for me, like I said, being Protestant. Mm-hmm. And this was 2001, 2002. And so 2010, we get the uh, uh, Obamacare and the ACA and all the mandates. And right. it was soon after this that the NCBC reached out to me and asked if I would be interested in writing an article for Ethics and Medics uh, and hadn't even converted yet. Uh, so it was an interesting article. I was, I was kind of took pop shots at the church, quite honestly, that they, how we got there. Um, but I worked with the religious orders diocese, converted. And post-ACA, I'm trying to find ways where I could help dioceses save more money. And I started noticing how much they were losing in the pharmaceutical side of employee benefits. There's, there's an expression, pharmaceutical benefit managers, which are the the health insurance piece of any health insurance plan, even if you have like Blue Cross or something, it's cut and pasted onto the plan, is riddled with tons of profit and a ton of problems for the Catholic Church. So I decided to hang my own shingle back in 2019 uh, as the Matthias Group, where I specifically uh, consult with dioceses, mostly large dioceses or larger Catholic employers on their, their health plans and try to save them money which was the stake, uh, the sizzle being protection of Catholic identity in the beginning. As that's evolved, it's uh, and more and more landmines of risk to diocese and Catholic identity started surfacing. That's where our focus has probably been very severe for the last three years. 
Yeah. And just to, for, for people who may not know, ACA is the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare, right. um, just so that so that, that so people know what we're talking about there. You'll um, have to stop me on that, Joe. I do tend to speak in acronyms, so you'll- And I will. I will. I, all right. So, Robert, you, you mentioned this, or you, I shouldn't say you mentioned it, you hinted at it, your conversion. I was wondering how your faith influences your life and your work. Ah. <sighs> It's a it's a challenging question. How to, uh, it's it's the sole driver of yeah. what the company does. So, the the reason I chose Saint Matthias is for those of us who remember from Sunday school, Saint Matthias was the one whom Peter chose to replace the office of Judas. And as I had worked with other brokers, I've seen those that were advising the church and not necessarily being bad people, but giving bad, bad advice. Uh, and then others that were, uh, let me just be very off the cuff, very weasel, right? Their, their, drive, their motivation was to make as much money as possible from all their clients. That's their business model. Mm-hmm. Is I wanted my company to be the replacement to that in the industry. So uh, we, our patron is St. Matthias. So ultimately to do good where a lot of bad is done. Um, and especially in the pharmaceutical benefit management era arena, I'm going to keep using the, the acronym PBM mm-hmm. for that, just for ease. But there is a saying that PBM also stands for profit before morals. So I wanted to be the one who jumps in between that and the church. Right. So PBM is pharmacy benefit management. Right. So the it's easiest way that. to think about that, Joseph, like I said earlier, if you, if you think of your health plan, and it doesn't matter who you have it through, United Healthcare or Cigna or whomever your employer provided health insurance is provided through, you have a drug benefit more than likely that has a $10 copay for this and a $25 copay for the other. That insurance company doesn't manage that. They cut and paste, if you will, the management of that program to a third party. Uh, some of them, some of the names you'll know, like CVS, Mm-hmm. Is, uh, is one of the big three uh, providers of uh, pharmaceutical management. Uh, OptumRx, which is uh, owned by United Healthcare, uh, ESI, which is owned by Cigna. Those three probably control eighty percent of the employer-based uh, pharmaceutical plans in the country. Yeah, and I just want to let uh, our listeners know that uh, you are a. A man of faith. We've had a number of different conversations on the phone and in person at our bishops' workshops and a number of different things. And and again, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the call. You're you're a person. I I, I actually I admire you. you. You bring your faith to work with you, and and you're very um, you're very sincere about it. And uh, so thank you for that, you. Robert. What what is we've talked about the Matthias Group where the name came from, but what is the Matthias Group? And generally speaking, what services does it offer to Catholic employers? Uh, primarily, so and it's going to be different per diocese. I, I was taught by a CFO of an archdiocese very early into into launching this endeavor that if I work with one diocese, I've worked with one diocese. Mm-hmm. That they're not all the same. They uh, both uh, culture and the location, their particular challenges, be they demographically, state regulations, whatever the case may be. So a lot of that is helping them navigate their unique challenges by using some tools that a lot of other dioceses have been able to use, uh, be it exercising leverage to reduce drug costs and renegotiate contracts to how to circumvent and deal with uh, certain local issues. So it, 
I hate to be, you know, to use the attorney line and, you know, rub my hands together and say, it depends, Joe, but it depends. It's, it's about providing need fulfillment. A lot of times what I'll do is this is not something I have an area of expertise, and, but I can facilitate the relationship of the one who can solve the problem. Mm-hmm. So um, I might have a challenge in a particular diocese of how they've established. I'm going to use an acronym, but it's only usually please. Is the plan a qualified church plan, an ERISA plan, or bifurcated to both, depending on the state's need to do that or not do that? I'm not an attorney, right? but I know them, right? I can facilitate the relationship. So I am the one who can come in. The nice thing is I can come in, I can solidify a diocese uh, Catholic identity through their health plan and what they're providing their employees actually reflects the teachings of the church uh, and even promotes the teachings of the church. In some cases I'd like to talk about later, mm-hmm. but in other places help them facilitate others that can help them do the same thing. Yeah. Now I'm not going to ask you to necessarily name names, um, but can you tell us like generally who some of the employers you, you serve, you've, you've mentioned diocese. Is it exclusively dioceses? Are there other religious institutions, religious orders, colleges, universities, hospitals, whatever the case may be? What I'm just trying to get a, a feel for the um, your clientele, so to speak. The clientele is primarily archdioceses and large dioceses. So, okay. Uh, because I can have a profound financial impact on those that have over a thousand employees. Okay. So of the 178 some odd dioceses in the country uh, of Latin Rite, there's maybe 75 or so that would qualify for some of the programs. And, and it's just a matter of, like I said, work with one diocese is one diocese. So if you get to a smaller diocese, some of the solutions I can offer, I can't offer anymore or right. the challenges they run into. So I've done consulting work for small dioceses. I've done consulting work for uh, larger religious orders. And then, but primarily it's large dioceses and archdioceses. All right. So let's get into the, uh, I always like to say the meat and potatoes. Let's, let's, let's get down and dirty on this. So Robert, what financial challenges do Catholic employers face today in terms of their health benefits plans, specifically with regard to pharmaceuticals? Because that's obviously your, your forte there. But w- what are those financial challenges? So, finan- so we're talking about financial challenges as opposed to Catholic identity. Because you mentioned Catholic employers. And so Catholic employers is a much bigger umbrella, right? We can talk about the private employer who's a good Catholic who owns a company mm-hmm. and he'd like to have his own company reflect right. the benefits reflect and not conflict with Catholic teaching. So uh, let me sp- speak first primarily about the church as okay. an employer yep. Yep. Um, because it's just, it's just a black sheep employer. The Catholic church is one of the largest employers in the United States. They employ almost a million people really? in the country. But we are very diversified when it comes to authority. There's, I mean, we, we balk and, and, and turn away from centralization of authority. So there's, it's very, very spread out. Um, there's not a lot of exercising of the leverage in between. So when you're talking about a religious order of sisters in California that have seven lay employees, you know, maybe 25 sisters in a state that mandates abortion on demand without parental notification, and they want to provide health insurance for their employee. They might have an employee that has a sick dependent. They want to give them good and quality health insurance. But to do so means that they have to provide into a state system that mandates that abortion. So some portion of that dollar that they contribute in premiums could go to pay for abortion. Right. That's a very different challenge 
than a large archdiocese with you know 9,000 members that is in a state that doesn't have offensive state mandates and looking at their challenges. So finances is a, is a complicated question. Mm-hmm. I guess I would say that the probably the largest challenges that are coming uh, on the pharmaceutical, to be very specific in what right. I do, yep. is you have basically two classes of drugs. I'm, I'm going to draw on broad brushstrokes. Mm-hmm. You have specialty drugs and you have your over-the-counter generic-esque type drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm oversimplifying it, but specialty are those Humira. These are these very expensive, treat-rare things. Uh, usually that's the first brand out kind of drug. They are probably 50% of an employer's plan costs on drugs, but only 2% of their employees are actually using them. So we're seeing this rise in specialty costs, as we, especially as we get into more complicated um, treatments where we have now bio drugs, we have biosimilar drugs that are coming out. These are not, uh, and bio drugs would be those that are manufactured by using some kind of living organism to generate it in a lab as opposed to a chemical drug, which is a formula of chemicals that make a pill Right. right. As long as you follow the recipe, you'll get the same pill every time. When you get into bio drugs uh, and biosimilar drugs, it's it, they're not always the same, right? But they're they're yeah. more complicated. They're more expensive to develop. There's a trillion dollars in research when it comes to your specialty drugs, so they're very expensive. Uh, I've had I have one diocese that uh, uh, dependent has a drug treatment that's running about fifty thousand dollars a month. Wow. Uh, very, very expensive treatment, but absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. So, so very small portion. So that area is growing. And the challenges in their PBM contracts is there is so much profit for the PBMs, even with the negotiation. Uh, in one diocese I was working with, we had them with a PBM. We went in, we renegotiated the contract. Uh, by using, by leveraging some, uh, actually other uh, Catholic organizations, including hospital systems, uh, that partnered through a GPO. And we were able to lower an archdiocese cost from about $11 million down to about eight with no changes or cost shifting to the employees, no making them jump through hoops to go to one one pharmacy or the other. What's a JP, Robert, what's a JPO? GPO, I'm sorry. GPO. Uh, GPO is a group purchasing organization. Okay. Um, so there's there's there are complicated ways that one can approach negotiating contracts. They can work with uh, consortiums. They can work with group purchasing organizations, mm-hmm. which is my preference. Uh, there are other tactics to do that. When we lower that, I had a discussion with the archbishop and the CFO, and they said, "What happened? Are you trying to tell me that we were just being ripped off by about three million dollars?" And I had to look at them and say. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that was the that was what the market allowed, and that's what they charged. Sorry, it just right. it is what it is. So on the financial side, a lot of times they'll find that they're they're scrimping and they're challenged, and their the the health insurance renewals come in, and it's you know fifteen percent renewal. It's unmanageable. We have sick people, and so how can we cost shift to our employees that we already underpay in the church? Right. Uh, so that we can, so it can be sustainable because we can't mm-hmm. afford it. And do we do this? And, this, and in the meantime, 
just by better negotiation of contract, we can put $3 million back into the health plan and not have to do those kind of things. So yeah. uh, a lot of it is strategy and instead of being reactionary, unfortunately in the church, by culture, we're reactionary to everything. You know, yeah. We're not going to go look at how we save money until we see the sticker shock of the renewal. Right. Uh, in addition to these sort of group purchasing organizations, are there other ways that, that Matthias can help, um, whether it's a diocese or a religious order, that employer to, to sort of maximize the financial benefits of their, of their plan? So here, here's the thing. So the, there are ways, right? There are okay. programs. There's drug utilization programs that are available. There's diabetic management programs that are available. There's uh, oversight. It gets highly complicated. There's, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, there's literally 500 toggles one can throw on the switch of how they manage uh, some uh, manage the drug program. Some of them are very draconian. They'll provide very little savings and they'll tick off all the employees. If anybody's ever been a victim of something called step therapy, step therapy is uh, you've had surgery. Your doctor wants to provide you with a painkiller because he knows this is really going to hurt. And the pharmacy says, no, we won't fill that script. You have to try aspirin first. If aspirin doesn't work, then you can go to Motrin. If that doesn't work, then we'll fill your script for you. Or someone who suffers from migraines, right? The last thing you want to have is an employee who has to go through a month of working their way through the course of drugs to get to one that works. How much does it save the plan? Very little, but it does create real problems for the employees. Yeah. There's other things that you can do behind the scenes that help you manage the program better, that have real savings. Very few employers want to do the work to find where those are, and quite honestly, very few brokers and consultants know where to look. Yeah. It's a, it's un, it's, I did this for 20 years, and for 18 of them, I had no idea. Because it was yeah. just, oh, that's the drug plan, and never thought about it again. Yeah. This is maybe a, a bit of an unfair question, but you mentioned you threw out the number of about three million dollars for this archdiocese that you were you were speaking about. Can you? Is there a? I don't. I don't want to say you can guarantee something, but if 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 someone were if a if a chief financial officer or CFO of a diocese were to come talk to you, and you were to take a look at their their pharmacy benefits uh, plan and and the things that you know all of the all of the areas that of, of your your expertise, is there kind of a number in mind is, or is, is there a kind of a, a history that, that you have that you could say, you know, archdiocese, diocese or archdiocese of X, looking at this, I can save you Y amount of money. Is, is there like numbers that you can actually I mean, I give, can give you? I can that? give you a trend. And so the trend is, so there's two ways to count employees on a health plan. There's either called, it's either the employee count, which is just you know, the named employee, mm -hmm. or the member count, which is the number of billy buttons that are actually part of the health plan. So for the sake of this discussion, I'll talk about the employee count that are on the health plan. The average savings has been a half million dollars per thousand employees enrolled in the plan. Wow. I can't imagine a diocese who wouldn't want to hear that. Uh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> really? <laughs> you'd be surprised. Um, you know, one of the one of my frustrations is I will reach out to chief financial officers. I've, I've developed a very good reputation in a very short period of time of providing real savings, protecting Catholic identity. And then I, re, I, I show the evidence mm -hmm. and hey, give me 10 minutes. I'm explaining how this works. And, you know, year of radio silence and never hear from them again. So 
it's and understand that those of us that work for the church, especially those that are inside the chancery offices, are busy people, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they're, they're, I've always likened them to the one who spins the plates on the sticks at the circus and you're always <laughs> under stress to see which plate's going to fall, right? And there's always something that's happening, right? There's loans that are for a chief financial officer, there's a thousand things happening. For an HR director, there's a thousand things that are happening. And it's one of those things, it's kind of like, I know I need to go to the gym. I'll go tomorrow. I'm busy today. And then here it is. I'm looking at January 1st and I've done nothing for my New Year's resolution. So it is highly frustrating especially when I'll see a, a, you know, something on letterhead from the diocese of so-and-so celebrating the half million dollars they raised for Bishop's favorite <laughs> charitable event. And they worked for two months to build up this gala event to save this money. And I was like, I could have just handed you a check. <laughs> yeah, it, so it, it does get, it, you would think that there would you know, I'd be an order taker. It's, it's not the case at all. And, it, and a lot of it's just, the culture of the church. Yeah. Well, if there are any bishops listening, and I know there are bishops who are listening, you know, <laughs> keep listening um, and maybe save some money. Robert, I'd like to, to change gears a bit and talk about some of the ethical challenges that um, the Catholic employers, particularly diocese, are going to mm-hmm. face in their uh, employee benefits plans, particularly the pharmaceuticals that, you know, is your area of expertise. And I, I, I wanted to ask this question, and I, I just want to let the audience know that I, 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 um, I kind of cleared it with you first because I, I didn't want to kind of put you on the, on the, you know, put you behind the eight ball, so to speak. But a question that we run across um, here at the NCBC having to do with uh, benefits plans has to do with spouses, quote unquote mm-hmm. spouses. And I'm wondering, Robert, so uh, how you respond to this. So so we know that following the, the Supreme Court's Obergefell decision, which legalized, um, quote unquote, same-sex marriages. So following that decision, many states are mandating that healthcare plans cover same-sex so-called spouses. How does the Matthias Group counsel Catholic uh, entities uh, in, tr- in this area? All right. So let me, let me shockingly do the same thing, which was your hands together, rub them a little bit and say, it depends. Okay. <laughs> okay. Because because of your size and your location and everything else that's going on, not the, the religious order in California and right. the diocese in the, in the Midwest and the, uh, the Catholic healthcare system on the East Coast have a plethora of different laws that govern. So to, you mentioned Oberfeld uh, specifically, which was a ruling, right, mm-hmm. that said, you know, it wasn't a law, it was a ruling. That said, Although yes. It's, a, it's about to be a lie as we T- go to. Touche, <laughs> but I yeah. understand that, you know, when it comes to this, and a point I'll probably make later is these changes are fluidic. It's never I come into a place, I make the plan just, you know, NCBC gold certified on uh, how wonderful their plan design meets Catholic teaching because in 15 minutes, another law is going to change locally <laughs> or statewide <laughs> or really. federally. That's going to really. throw another crank in it. So the answer is going to be different. So, for example, I reside in Florida. Florida is a right-to-work state. The, the ruling says if you have an employee, you must provide these benefits for spouses. It doesn't say you have to hire them or you have to give any reason for firing them. So the answer might have nothing to do with employee benefits. It might have a lot to do with labor law, mm-hmm. right? So it's one of those places I'll say, I can see the problem. This is where I see language. I'm not necessarily the one to cure it. I can. T- I am an expert in what I'm an expert, and then I draw on experts. 
to, to give qualified answers. Uh, and it's probably where my organization foundationally was very different. So when we would do, and let me stop on that to give you an example of what I mean. Sure. When uh, we implemented uh, pharmaceutical plans at different dioceses and archdioceses, I brought in experts, bioethicists from the NCBC to actually sit in on those implementation calls to answer very specific questions when we came down to uh, morphine or HIV preventative drugs mm -hmm. and how we were going to cover those or how we were going to handle certain drugs that are used commonly for a physician-assisted suicide or these other things. Right. Because there's my job is to identify the problem. I breach on experts saying this is clear church teaching. Then it goes to bishop and says, okay, and this is how we want to forwardly face doing that. So every problem is different. And I guess what I, I guess if I have a walkaway message is the local broker, no matter how good of a Catholic or how monstrous the organization might be, are not experts in all the nuances of this. So um, the financial analysis that I mentioned earlier, I don't do that. I'm, I, I hire a third-party actuarial firm, Milliman, to do my actuarial work for me. So I want to bring in experts, attorneys or whoever the right. case may be, or NCBC. Um, there is not, there is no off-the-shelf good answer. I wish there was. Um, I will say my problem isn't that this is going to happen. My problem is they're going to make it easier for it to happen. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example. I had a, uh, very often I'll see eligibility that says in the definition. So you're looking at a big contract, the right. definition of everything at the end of the contract. Right. It's a definition of spouse, colon, the legal definition of spouse. Right. Well, that yeah, we changed. See that. Yep. see it all the time, you know, where I'm much more of a fan of saying cite to Canon 1055 <laughs> yep. and cite to Genesis. You know, one of the challenges, one of the uh, great speaker that I know who's uh, an attorney, employee Benz attorney, uh, said we started to stop using secular language and we need to use church language yeah. in, in our documents. So we do those things. things. Why are you actually, you've just said you're now have changed how we're going to define spouse right or we define it and say okay we went into our plan documents on medical and we created all the language that we love great your disability insurance still says spouse and defines it otherwise for the case so it's different so and then same and same-sex marriages that one's been coming for a while that yeah. they'll get into i have a situation at a uh religious order had a bunch of schools one of the schools in new york uh has union teachers and so they have a collective bargaining agreements. Well, that collective bargaining agreement had in its language that they would provide for same-sex marriage couples. And they would recognize, and that was the language, that the school would recognize same-sex married couples. Well, that's a really broad word that can take on all kinds of connotations. Right. So I'm, I'm not going to fix it, but I'm sure is that going to show where, there, where the church is being its own enemy by either not looking for these things or not or relying on those who don't know what to look for and say, no, yeah, this is the standard contract off the shelf. Right. And it is right. Right. For 99% of their clients. Hey, this, this new contract complies with all of New York's and federal laws or all of Pennsylvania and federal yep. laws sign here, press hard for three copies. Yeah. Dating myself, but. No, that is actually as you're speaking, I, I'm recalling we did a podcast probably ooh, a year or two ago with uh, Shannon Sizek, and she's no longer with the Catholic Benefits Association, but at the time she was their their HR 
person, their HR expert. And Shannon made it very clear, both on this podcast and in conversations that we had at other places, that it's really important. It's even essential for Catholic employers to clearly identify themselves as Catholic within the various HR documents, and you know, and have. And I know there's a lot of um, a lot of dioceses who now are including language that you know, particularly like with school teachers. Um, that you know they're you know they have to abide by the teachings of the church in these various areas and and so I know they're starting to do that but Shannon was just made it very clear that it's it's really important particularly as we move forward in our country that you know that the Catholic Catholic entities um, make sure that they very clearly identify themselves as Catholic and and that employees are expected to to um, you know to respect church teachings um, while they are employed by whether it's the diocese or the order and, and I would have them. And I would have them rest on the CBA, the Catholic Benefit Association, right. a great organization I'm a huge yep. fan of. Um, it rests on them or rest on your Catholic employee benefits attorney for the language right. and not use your own. Oh, because, exactly. Yes, that's exactly what Shannon said. Absolutely. Yes. Right, because what happens is they'll say, well, a man and a woman. Well, according to what I've been hearing for the last 10 years, <laughs> we can't use those words anymore. <laughs> They use the same common understanding that we've used for 5,000 years, mm -hmm. right? So you actually have to put a man and a woman as expressed in Genesis or whatever the case may be. But because when it goes to court and at some point it's going to go to court, yep. we live in a litigious society and we're not, you know, there's a lot of people that hate the Catholic church and what we stand for. Uh, and, and the court is where they want to do battle. You make sure that they have to defend based on our language and not theirs. Right, because yeah. they they keep absconding with our language. Well, the word marriage right. used to mean something sacramental. We kind of surrendered that word, yep. Yep. you know, years ago. Yep. All right, so uh, let's let's get into some of the uh, some of the other ethical challenges that uh, that your that your clients face. So, Robert, um, as we all know, the federal government, and I'm thinking particularly the ACA, as you mentioned, the Affordable Care Act, also the Biden administration, as we record this podcast, is doing crazy stuff. So, the federal government, state governments, are mandating that healthcare plans uh, provide coverage for interventions that violate Catholic teaching. And you mentioned abortion, certainly, but there's also contraception. There's also the gender gender uh, mutilation, you know, procedures or the, you know, the, the, the gender quote unquote transitioning drugs and, and other things as well, too. I was wondering, can you oh, speak? No, you gotta be much more loving. It's gender affirming. Oh, I, I don't use that. I, I refuse right. to use well, that and, language. And, 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 well, because that's how they market it. Right? No, I know. I know. No, I yes. know. That's the most recent change. Yes. Yeah. But um, Robert, can you speak? to the ethical and or religious liberty challenges that Catholic employers face in terms of their health benefits plans, particularly those pharmaceuticals um, sure. that undermine the employer's Catholic identity and mission. Well, let me, let me specifically in the pharmaceutical, and this is this has been my passion for probably the last two years now in the mm -hmm. pharmaceutical. There's actually some of the NCBC out there more about. Uh, now, Lupron, uh, everybody's kind of heard of, or I guess those that pay attention has heard of. For those that haven't, Lupron is the Vogue uh, medication that is given to children as a puberty blocker mm -hmm. for those parents that want their child to pick their own gender at some point. We've There are no studies. These are highly dangerous drugs, and there are now organizations that are fighting this. I will tell you, and I would stake my reputation, that if you bring up me the formulary of any 50 dioceses, 49 of them would have Lupron as part of their formulary. And they would even be told, I was told 
when I was first implementing plans, of nothing to worry about. There's pre-authorization requirements. Nothing bad will happen. Well, pre-authorization requirements are overcome when they said medically necessary. Right. Lupron is a great example. Lupron can be used for cervical cancer. Or God forbid something happens to a child where they enter puberty early and the doctor yeah. does want to stunt that to, to help the body develop properly. Well, that's what I was going to say because it has that it has that mechanism. It's for, for precocious pu- puberty when puberty starts too early. So that's and, the that's the purpose for the drug. Absolutely. When you're, but when you're using it for so-called transitioning, it's being used off-label. So what will happen is if a doctor writes a script, a doctor could be a psychiatrist who can write a script. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And say it's treatments for gender euphoria and can overcome the pre-authorization requirements, and the diocese is never the wiser. Right. So my huge fear, right? This is, and, I, and you and I had a sidebar a long time ago. About this. <laughs> you know, my huge fear is a couple out celebrating with the local news, and that their gender reveal party is neutral. And isn't it wonderful that the diocese is paying for the Lupron treatments for our kids? We love working for the diocese. Day two, there's a microphone in front of Bishop's face saying, so has the church changed its position on gender, you know, gender affirming care is how the question. Right. You can't unring that bell. Right. You know, there's there's no amount of savings and, and nobody knows to look for it. Uh, and and though those and, and, and cross use of uh, hormone therapy. Mm-hmm. Right? How do we identify these things? And at the same time, and so we, we look at the attacks, but I also want to I work very closely with the diocese who gave me a marching order that they wanted to have the most Catholic health plan in the country. They wanted to be the shining beacon on the hill. And one of the things that we did for them is they had a natural family planning clinic, which also prescribes hormones, probably more in excess than would be commonly treated for certain situations. And they were running into stumbling blocks and getting these scripts filled. So we created a path that if scripts came from this clinic, those stumbling blocks weren't there. and Though codes pays for less, we were actually promoting our Catholic identity, not just defending and protecting. Saying, yes, we love families and we'd love to try to help you. And by the way, here you go. We've made it as easy as possible for you. We don't want to always necessarily have our projection being that we're restrictive. We're right. not. We're a loving church that supports family and care. Let's do that in the best way we can and let that be the reflection of, oh, I work for the Catholic Church. Of course, I get great benefits. Not, oh, I work for the Catholic Church. They don't cover anything. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. uh, I'll tell you what. So this is my prediction. You know, you said you have a few bishops listening. So hopefully uh, if I ever speak at a bishop's workshop again, I can be like, oh, you know, I get to be the soothsayer. Is that the next big thing is not going to be gender. So we had the we had the contraception. We've had Roe v. Wade, and that's still playing out. And gender is still going to be a big thing. But even that, uh, I think there is some fatigue from most Americans. What I see is the next big thing is going to be physician-assisted suicide, mm-hmm. uh, which is always billed as death with dignity, right? right. Just like we yep. do gender. Oh, yeah. Compassion and choices and all that. Oh, so we're already starting to see uh, corporations that normally fly their pride flags you know, in February or June, um, whatever the private month is, uh, will now start doing advertising where they'll do uh, you know, show how wonderful and loving they are mm-hmm. by trying to do this. I will tell you that every drug plan that I know, uh, with very little exception, has no pre-authorization to step in front of those particular cocktails, medication cocktails, that physicians can legally prescribe in certain states. 
Mm-hmm. So understand what your PBM is going to do. They're just a corporation. Their job is to fill you know, fill the order like a grocery store. You say you want a 16-ounce can of peas, they're going to give it. They don't care. So the drugs, are, the request is going to come in for this particular cocktail to end somebody's life. And these cocktails vary state to state, you know, are popular from yep. some doctors to others. And we're going to facilitate that. And it doesn't matter that your state doesn't have death with dignity laws that protect you like Oregon and Colorado, because you're going to have a 25-year-old dependent living in that state. And what we're seeing now in Canada, because things tend to yep. move from Europe and Canada into the, yep. in the United States, is there's uh, there are bills that are put forth now to change the requirement for physician-assisted suicide that used to be you had to be diagnosed with a terminally ill disease within six months. The new legislation that's being put forward is mental health yep. can be the terminal oh, yeah. disease. And you just feel bad enough. So, and, and so it's almost like, I feel horrible, I hear voices. Take your lithium. I don't like the way lithium feels. This is a chronic disease. I want to commit suicide. Okay. And there are cocktails that are used for that, and they are being, they are on your formularies. It's on every right. formula in every diocese in the country. Yeah. It's scary. I know we've had we've had discussions about this and it, it gets more and more scary every day. Robert, I know you're not uh, an attorney, but I'm wondering what relief do Catholic employers, again, probably diocese, those who you're working with, what do they have with regard to these various mandates? What what can they do in their benefits plans to try to assure that the things that you're talking about don't happen? <sighs> Okay, I, mean, I, hate, I hate answering everyone with a question with a preface that depends. <laughs> but it depends. Well, I, I, look, I'm going to be very blunt. There are some dioceses that don't have the heart to put up the fight. Mm-hmm. Or the culture is one or the, the heart of the bishop is we don't really mind. There's others that they will absolutely point them in the right direction and they will fight the good fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it might require going to court. Uh, it, others might be, I am going to act in accordance with Catholic teaching till somebody sues us. And what we're going to do is we're going to protect ourselves and we're going to put all of our language in place that reflects Catholic teaching. Like you mentioned earlier, we're going to use uh, Catholic identity in every document that comes out of here. I don't care if it goes a Christmas card or a memo about the church picnic. It's going to reflect our Catholic identity Every way. We're not going to employ, in other words, we're not going to make an employee handbook that says we're an equal opportunity employer. Right. Which comes standard on every employee yep. because we're not. Nobody right. gets to be promoted to bishop. You know? So you you can do what you can do and either prepare for the fight. You can either take the offensive, and this is where you pay lawyers a lot of money and take the offensive and challenge laws or wait till you're sued. A lot of these things that have happened, there's no case law. Right. It's not it's they're going to you can make a mandate all you want, but it's not, you know, blessed on high until it's been challenged in court. So my easiest reason, my, my most simplistic response is act puritanically as the Catholic Church should act and be smart about it. You know, if there's a, and you can quote scripture better than I can in many of our conversations, but Jesus does advise who goes what king goes to war without knowing how many troops he's got and the other has. So take the time, build up your troops, make sure that you have your defenses in place. Be smart about it. You know, where I got in trouble when I wrote the article years ago, uh, Checkmate Against Catholic Church, is the radical left moves incrementally. Mm -hmm. 
and they take a little step and they take a little step and we get tired and we move on and they take another little step forward. And we most often don't respond unless it directly impacts us. What I would tell you is there's probably 50 different places a health plan is probably being attacked that need to be scrutinized very, very closely. Uh, And if they're not, then all you need is the one that comes over the wall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's something you can help employers with. So, Robert, in light of the challenges that we identified, you know, um, in your previous response, what questions should Catholic employers, and I'm thinking particularly the administrators, the, the CFOs, as you said, the chief financial officers, and even the bishops, what questions should they be asking about their benefits plans? Uh, and maybe state a little differently, what do Catholic employers need to know about their plans particularly with regard to pharmaceuticals that they may not know. Okay. So scare tactic. Sure. They are, if they are not absolutely paying for things that are directly uh, conflict with Catholic teaching for their own employees, they are at risk of doing so. Every plan out there. Say that again. I I just want to make sure. So every plan diocese of so-and-so. Yep. Right. And fly over country. Mm-hmm. If they are not already paying for things that conflict with church teach, not just supporting, paying for it, they've already done it, then they are at least at risk at doing so. Hmm. I have, I've, there has yet to be a plan that I've walked into. And some, some, well, I'll take that back. There are some. Uh, there are organizations like uh, the Christian Brothers. Uh, organization which works with a lot of religious orders, mostly some diocese religious orders. Their entire trust was founded by the Christian Brothers uh, religious organization. Phenomenal organization takes care of them. So everything they do is based on Catholic identity ground up. Mm-hmm. But even then, they might not get everything from Christian Brothers. They still might be getting other plans, you know, their dental plan or something else. And it still brings in some bad like, still needs scrutiny. So I think the question that uh, a bishop should ask isn't, is our plan in compliance with church teaching? Because the knee-jerk reaction is yes, and our broker told us so, and we worked very hard on that bishop, and we're fine. The question should be more of, what, what changes have you made in the last 24 months, given the political environment, to better protect our Catholic identity based on these new laws? Because that's a much harder answer to the question. That means that there's been some serious scrutiny going on. Hmm. Interesting. So, in light of the, in, in light of that response, and you've talked about this um, throughout our conversation so far, but what can the Matthias Group do to help a Catholic employer assure that its benefits plan is authentically Catholic? The question is kind of like asking me, what can I do as a doctor to make sure you're as healthy as you can possibly be? <laughs> well, because there's always more, right? And then the problem is, and and the answer I give you doesn't work if six months later you've been eating nothing but bonbons. Um, the the first step has to be an audit of just absolutely everything. Just just it has to become mission forward. Normally, employee benefits is looked at as something that we provide as an employer to recruit and maintain qualified employees. We want to provide good health insurance, Mm -hmm. keep our employees healthy, right? We want to do so in a Catholic way. We'd like to have that protect our Catholic identity. 
And that was great. And that lasted us all the way up to about 2010 when Obamacare and the ACA came out. And then we saw real challenges. The paradigm, the mentality has to change that we need to make sure that this is a reflection of our mission, that the way that we provide health plans for our employees is mission forward. Joe, think of it this way. If you had a high school in your archdiocese and rumor came out that the employees of that high school had a pharmacist sitting in the back who was giving out contraception to students and the school was paying him to be there. Bishop would be in the fastest car with the vicar general next to him, driving over there, pull open the door, find out what's going on. But that is exactly how the church provides benefits to their employees. They're paying for them. They're just paying for them through a third party. As much scrutiny as that should take place should take place all the time. It is the path that how we access Catholic health care. Robert, how does your work with Matthias Group complement that of the NCBC and vice versa? Uh, We both have the same mission, right? We both want to serve the church in highly complex and nuanced areas. I've had the blessing over the last 10 years to get into some great debates with the bioethicists in your office. I'm just, I'm very, you know, nuanced, weird thing. (laughs) And I do it on purpose because I want to learn. I want to understand. And we love you too. Yeah, we love you too. And, and (laughs) so for example, I was working with a diocese and we got into the section on their benefit plans about fertility and well, we don't provide any fertility coverage of any kind, but what about diagnosis? No, no, no. What about treatment? No, we we don't want to risk violating Catholic teaching. Like, well, wait a second. You have a couple that's in a sacramentally married couple. They can't. They have a medical condition. They want to have kids. There's that's something, and they're contributing most often to that health plan, right? The money comes out of their paycheck to go to that health plan, and so they're overreaching in some areas and underreaching others. So the NCBC comes in with that. I mean, I can say that as the consultant and the Catholic guy, but it, it gives the gravitas when the NCBC goes, no, that's absolutely within church teaching. But we want to do that. We want to do these things. And in the meantime, they're able to help the diocese. Like we said earlier, where they actually sat through those clinical edits of all these different areas that I bring them in, uh, bring your staff in to do for me. Yep. Uh, to go over line by line, this is church teaching, this is danger. But there's a difference between may and can. So we have a plan. Yes, that can do that. State law doesn't allow for it or whatever the case may be. They have We have to work in tandem together. So there's what the plan can do is what insurance allows for, what the, what the Catholic Church says is beneficial or not beneficial or against or for church teaching. And having those two kind of mesh together has to work in collaboration. Yeah. And just, just so listeners know, I mean, we've been, we're particularly, uh, my NCBC colleague, John DiCamillo has been working with you for quite a while. And we, we have our, our cheer program or our Catholic health insurance ethics review where John uh, DiCamillo is, is doing, as you said, you know, kind of looking at the, looking at the, uh, the formularies and looking at how, um, you know, is this a, is this a, a, a permissible use of this medication? Is this not? And, and, and actually got to know you, Robert, uh, through John. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, it's a, and 
Go ahead. Sorry, but did you make a really good point. John, I guess I work John's phenomenal to work with. John does the cheer program, which is looking at claims after the fact, auditing yep. those claims. Uh, instead of a financial audit, it's it's an ethical audit, if right. you will. Um, and it's after the fact. So I'm coming in building it ground up so that if the system is you know operates as built, it shouldn't have anything for John to see. And then John's still looking at it to make sure it goes if it comes through. Well, then, then we can come down the throat saying, you, did, you paid a claim you shouldn't pay. We want our money back. We want that scrubbed kind of situation. So the, the, the before and after is a great combination on that. Yeah. Yeah. And I know John likes working with you as well. Uh, Robert, I, I see that you are also working with the uh, newly formed Catholic Healthcare Leadership Alliance or the CHCLA. We had uh, Steve White uh, on a few episodes ago to, to talk about that new organization. What specifically are you doing with the CHCLA and how do you see this relationship developing in the future? Well, I'm really excited about the CHCLA. Um, I mentioned earlier, the church culturally, as we tend to uh, separate and you know, you're working on this thing and we're working on other things and the bioethics don't get involved in you know, law or whatever the case mm-hmm. may be. And these great organizations are coming together and saying, how can we work? We're not changing our mission, but how can we collaborate right. to move forward? I mean, so excited about that. And I was very excited uh, when Joseph Meany had first sent me information about it, that there was this business element that I could bring to it. Um, the, or we had that inaugural meeting uh, in D.C., which was wonderful. And as I learned of all these different organizations and what they're doing to help promote and protect Catholic identity and in this wide arena of healthcare, which is a huge mission of the church, um, that w- the perspective that I hope to bring is I'm the, I'm the foot soldier. I'm the one in the trenches working the front lines. I've got the nuns in California or I've got the... <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the diocese and flyover, they can't self-fund, so uh, they must uh, abide by state mandates and are dealing with offensive state mandates. So these are the day-in, day-out challenges, just like when you get – when COVID exploded and your phones came off, right? It's very exploded, reactive. yeah. Right. So, I mean, there might be a lot of discussions inside the walls of NCBC on things that are future and far off and how we can build to a better future. There's also, what do we do with the challenge that's on my desk right now? So I live in that world of challenge right now. And hopefully, I'm able to provide the CHCLA information and understanding of that's great. And, and I might see fruit 10 years from now, and it'd be wonderful fruit. But in the meantime, I've got a decade of problem between now and then. So right. I am so excited, uh, especially after visiting with everybody there. Uh, and the different organizations that are involved. And I'm already starting to see collaboration. So uh, one of the attendees was the Alliance for Defending Freedom. They're Mm -hmm. just my attendants. And I was letting them know about the Canadian law of what's happening. And I'm kind of, I'm I'm trying to read the tea leaves. This is what I'm predicting to be the next thing. How do we start shoring up plans or how do we start helping defend dioceses now? And so we're already in these collaboration type relationships which is what we should have been doing a long time ago. We have right. these buckets of experts, but we should be peeking over each other's shoulders. Yeah. Robert, what final words of wisdom do you have for our listeners today? Words of wisdom. Boy, I haven't been asked for that. Oh, very. <laughs> uh, if, I was, if I was going to have an, um, uh, a word of wisdom or, or probably an emotional prick of the heart is do not allow yourself to say, 
oh, my staff's got this handled. And you might have wonderful staff and they're devout Catholics. Or my broker's got this handled and they might be devout Catholics and locals and they, they, they go to the cathedral you know, daily mass. It, you have to do the work, be willing to do the work. And it's, it's very challenging. The nice thing about mine, like I said earlier, I can actually save a ton of money. I, mean, I can finance it, but do the work, but don't pawn it off. Now, the, the challenge, and, and to be fair, bishops are inundated with letters and phone calls and emails, everything from the parishioner who's mad because they swapped out pastor so, you know, with father so-and-so with father so-and-so. Uh, who their, their vicar is, or whatever the case may be, or politics, and the local you know, evangelical church sent a nasty gram. Right? It's hard to be heard above the noise. Um, but there are those that are, uh, that are experts that are out here wanting, desperately wanting to help the church, right. uh, if you give them an opportunity. If there is a bishop or a chief financial officer or someone who would like to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do so? Uh, they can email me, uh, my last name, Smedley, S-M-E-D-L-E-Y, at Matthias, G-R-P, uh, M-A-T-T-H-I-A-S-G-R-P.com. Um, or they can call me at 844-MAT-G-R-P, uh, which is, I don't have to look my card here, 846 uh, and I'll, give me a call. I'll put those, uh, I'll put those, I'll put that contact information in the show notes so people will, people will have that. Robert Smedley. Thank you for joining me today on Bioethics on Air. I'm more than happy. Appreciate the time, Jeff. For more information on the topics discussed today and other bioethical issues, please visit our website, ncbcenter.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter, as well as our publications, Ethics and Medics, and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. The views expressed on Bioethics on Air are not necessarily those of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. If you have comments or questions about this or any of our podcasts, please contact me, your host, Joe Zalot, at jzalot at ncbcenter.org. Archived editions of the podcasts are available on our website. Please hover on the Blogs and Podcasts button on the main page and then click Bioethics on Air. Finally, if you enjoy our podcasts, please subscribe to them And if you would like to support them, as well as the mission and ongoing work of the NCBC, go to our website, again, ncbcenter.org, and click on the red Donate button. Thank you for listening, and may God's peace be with you.